0: As we get started tonight, I want to just kind of tell you uh, my personal testimony and why faith is so very important to me. As I, when I was called to preach, I was 18 years old when I was called to preach, and I immediately uh, went, changed schools, went to South Alabama and began in the communication department. My degree is in speech communication. And I had the opportunity of going to one of the outstanding churches in the state of Alabama, as well as the... Southern Baptist Convention, that was Cottage Hill Baptist Church, where uh, Fred Wolf was the pastor, and Brother Fred became a dear friend of mine. And, uh, and one of the unique things that Brother Fred did was that our church, every quarter, every quarter we had some kind of Bible conference. I mean, there was a, there was a special speaker that came in every quarter. You know, it, wasn't, it wasn't once a year that you had revival. Every quarter you had somebody. So, so I sat there and I had the opportunity of being under, under some of the most outstanding preachers of that day. I mean, if you could name them, the who's who of the preachers were, uh, you know, I had the chance to sit there because they came to our church and they preached. Adrian Rogers, I heard him there. you know Adrian Rogers, wouldn't you? And, uh, a guy named Ron Dunn, he was an outstanding evangelist. Uh, Manley Beasley, Peter Lord. I mean, whoever you just want to name, we had them in there. And at that particular time, the Lord had really impressed upon the hearts of some men about how to teach and preach on faith. And here I am, just a young minister and getting my college education and trying to learn. And I was preaching at that time. I had a revi- We had a revival team at our BSU that we went out and preached, every, you know, weekends and stuff. So I was preaching and everything else, but... But I was like a sponge to learn whatever I could learn from whomever it might be. And here are all these great men who are coming in. And, and uh, they were great teachers on faith. Manly Beasley, uh, I don't know if any of you ever heard Manly Beasley, but Manly Beasley was an outstanding preacher and teacher on faith. matter of fact, he had, he had two books called the Faith Workbooks. And uh, he'd go through those workbooks with people. Manly Beasley, just to tell you a little bit about his life, he had, at one point in his life when he was in his 40s, he had five terminal illnesses. Can you, did you hear what I said? Five terminal illnesses when he was in his 40s. He was in the Houston Hospital, and he was the study of everybody who came through that hospital. They just brought all those students in there, those medical students, and said, this guy's got this, 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 and this, and he's not going to live. You know, <laughs> basically, it, it was just amazing. But he was such a man of faith that he, instead of listening to what the doctors said, not that you don't hear what the doctors say, but instead of hearing what they said and writing a stamp on him that his life was over, he got a word from God. And the word from God was this, that he would see his children's children. Well, his children at that time were only uh, in early teens and, and, and childhood. So for him to see his children's children meant what? It meant he had to live. He had to live for a while. And so whenever God told him in that word, that promise, that he would see his children's children, he just began to believe God that he was going to get well. And uh, sure enough, uh, for the next few weeks or months, he, he continued to digress and get worse and worse. Yeah, that's that point of where you got to persevere in your faith. But eventually, he began to get better, and he got well. And he preached well into his 60s. He saw his grandchildren. He's with the Lord now. But the Lord honored that, and I had the opportunity to hear him preach after he was in his 50s and 60s and had gone through all those experiences. And he was just this great teacher and preacher on faith and claiming the promises of God. Well, following him was Ron Dunn. He and Ron Dunn were excellent friends. They were dearest of friends. Uh, Manly Beasley had some of the greatest principles, but Ron Dunn had the, the ability to preach it better than Manly did. And Ron Dunn would preach on, on faith, and I had a chance to be under him and, and to hear his testimony of faith. And, and what they did, they, they challenged me that in my life, I was going to choose to live a life of faith, that I, that I wasn't just going to live by sight, and I wasn't just going to live by what somebody said, that I was going to commit my life, that I was going to live by faith, because In living by faith, you get to see God do things that only God can do. You get to see miraculous things take place that there's no explanation for except God. And whenever those men taught me about that and challenged me about that, I remember getting on my face before God for about two hours one night and and committing my life as a college student that, that I was going to live my life on faith. I was going to trust the Lord. I was going to seek His promises. Whenever I ran across an issue that first thing, not the last thing, would be to try to find a word from God. And that whatever God's word was to me, that would be the ultimate word. And that I would live by that. And that I would rather live by uh, faith and, and, and be considered a fool than to live by sight and to miss out on what God had for me. And so that was the commitment that I made. And, and I want to be honest with you. Whenever you choose to live by faith, when you choose to step out there and believe the promises of God, when sometimes all circumstances and situations do not point to that and do not say that that could possibly happen, people are going to look at you strange. They're going to think you've lost your marbles. But that's okay. You know, you've, you, you, It's okay for people to consider that because there were a lot of people in the Bible that people thought they'd lost their marbles too, didn't they? Think about it. When Noah started building that boat because it's going to rain and have a flood and it never even rained on earth, do you think they thought he was a nut? Let me help you. Yes, they thought he was a nut. All right? All through the Bible, you're going to find these people who are going to walk by faith that when people are thinking about it and looking at it, if you're living by sight rather than by faith, you're going to consider that person different and strange. And so whenever I did that, uh, the testimony of my life, and, and, and through this experience, I have an opportunity to share with you many, many stories of our personal life, as well as our ministry life, of where God has shown up and God's done things that are inexplicable. There, It's just God who's done it, you know, and, and those are fun things to be able to sh- share with you, and I want to share those things with you, but I set out to live by that, and a few years ago, I, I, the Lord really impressed upon my heart that He had He had so blessed me and had placed so much into me about living by faith that He was requiring of me to begin to teach that. Because Manly Beasley's with the Lord now, and Ron Dunn's with the Lord, and Adrian Rogers is with the Lord, and many people who who taught on faith and many of those leaders that I had who impacted my life on faith—they're no longer here. And matter of fact, if you just go and hear the modern preachers, many of the modern preachers, they don't talk a whole lot about living by faith and claiming the promises of God. Oh, there are certain people who are out there who do, I'm sure. But God impressed on me that that was something that He had planted in me while I was so young and that my responsibility is before I left this earth that I was to share that and impact the lives of other people. So I literally do this conference at other places, and I've done it in, in other places with, with gatherings of people. And the Lord spoke to me a few uh, weeks ago and, and said that when I do that around uh, at other places to teach that, that I need to do it for my own church. And so that's why we're doing it here on Wednesday nights. Going to do it on Wednesday nights to teach you what I would teach ordinarily in about a four-day conference. We'll it'll be expanded over a period of time because we won't have as long as sessions. But I'm going to teach you those things, and, and the material that I give to you are the materials that we've, we've been able to reap and, and to grasp and to put together to be able to explain what the life of faith is all about. If you see the front of that booklet, or if you focus on the front, I want you to see one thing on, on the front of the thing. It, it says, the verse that, that you build around is Colossians 2.6, all right? And it's this, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Now, I want you to get that verse in your heart, get that verse in your mind, okay? Because that is the the focal verse of how you live a life of faith. As you therefore have received Christ, so walk in Him. So walk in Him. Now, I want to ask you a question as we begin. And And I want you to... You know, you speak out if you want to, or it's rhetorical, you can do it that way. But if you were to identify one thing, one thing that is a discipline of the, of the Christian faith, an activity of the Christian faith, a, uh, one of the purposes of the Christian faith, if you were to identify with just one thing, what would be the most important thing that you would consider as in your Christian experience, what is the most important thing to you? What is the one thing that you feel like, if, if a Christian ought to be doing, that this is what they ought to be doing? Right? That, that's very important for you to think about it. If you had one thing that you're going to focus on, what is it going to be? Let me give you a few answers. If you talk to a minister of music, you know what they're going to tell you the most important thing for you to do is? Is worship. Okay. It's going to be worship. It's going to be praise the Lord. Have you ever been to a worship conference, praise conference? They're going to tell you, man, if there's one thing that you've got to do above everything else in the world, you've got to worship. That's the reason you're here is to worship. The most important thing is to worship. You ever been to one of those conferences? You can hear it. Okay. Somebody else might say, no, the most important thing is Bible study. You gotta get into the Word, and you gotta spend time in the Word, and you gotta let the Word melt your heart and make your heart and, and, and all that's true, but is that the most important thing? Is that the most important focus of the Christian life? Somebody else will tell you evangelism. You go to evangelism conference, what they're gonna tell you? You need to be sharing the gospel because it's winning people to Jesus. Now, is winning people to Jesus important? Absolutely it's important. Are we supposed to be winning people to Jesus? Certainly, we're supposed to be winning people to Jesus. But is that the most important thing? Somebody else is going to tell you discipleship. You need to disciple other believers, not just to win them and baptize them, but you ought to win them and teach them the things of God, help them to walk the way of Christ. Discipleship. Is discipleship important? Absolutely. Okay? Now, what about this? Fellowship. We Baptists like that one. We ought to get together and love on each other and hug on each other and, Let each other know that we're part of the family of God. Fellowship's important. What about ministry? Are we supposed to be doing something? Absolutely we're supposed to be doing something. We talked about the marks of a church not too long ago, and we talked about the importance of ministry. What about missions? Somebody else is going to tell you, man, the only thing we're supposed to be doing is missions. We're supposed to be out there sharing the gospel with the world. What I'm simply saying is this. Everybody is going to come up to something that they say this is the most important thing you need to be doing. This is what you need to focus on. Just where you need to grow, and they're going to focus on that. Well, what do I think it is? I think it's living by faith. I I, I think that's the most important thing. Now, why would I why would I say that? Why would I think that? Because I think everything else that you do is is based on that. Everything else you do is based. If you worship, why do you worship God? Because By faith you believe that He is, right? You believe He's there to worship and by faith you believe He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So the very reason you worship is because faith takes you to Him, carries you to Him. Everything else is that same way. Why do you evangelize? Because you know that you are saved by by grace through faith, all right? And that it requires that faith, and if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we are saved. It doesn't matter who you share the gospel, they've got to have faith if they're going to be saved. Discipleship is the same thing. Every one of those things is the same thing. Matter of fact, that's why I think that verse is so very, very important that Colossians 2, 6 verse, because it tells us what we're supposed to do in the Christian life. Listen to it, look at your first page of your, of your notes. It says, Faith, an essential of the Christian life. And here it is. Faith is not just necessary for the entrance into the kingdom of God. It is the necessary experience in the life of a Christian. That is the necessary experience in the life of a Christian. Here's that verse now. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in. In Him. That's the verse. Now, I want you to write this down. What does that verse say to you? Just write down in your own words. Read that verse right there. What does that verse say to you? As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. If you were to read that, what does that mean to you? What does that say to you? I'll give you a minute to write that down. Now let's evaluate that that word, those words in that verse. Listen to what the critical truth about this passage is. How many of you remember English class? How, How many of you remember a simile? What is a simile? A comparison of two things using the words, what? Like or as. Right? You see right there, there's a simile. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus. This is a simile. A comparison of two things. The second thing, the emphasis in the passage, which stands as the measuring rod is the statement, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. Here's the question. How did you receive Jesus? Now, you Baptists better get this right. All right? How did you receive Christ Jesus? By what? By faith. faith. That's exactly right. Did you you get Him by works? Did you work hard enough and you earned Him? All right? Did you ever deserve Him? No. The reason you got saved is because you asked Jesus in your heart. By faith. Why would you have asked Jesus in your heart if you didn't have faith? It's that faith that saved you. All right? So he says this in the same way that you receive Christ Jesus, here's the expanded truth, you must walk in him. And that word walk means to have life or to live, it means living. So, so what is it saying? In the same way that you receive Christ Jesus, so you must live your life in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul says. How did you enter into a relationship with Jesus? How did you receive Him? By faith. So how are you to live your life in Jesus and walk in Jesus? You are to walk by faith. All right? Walk by faith. So the very bottom down there, the summary statement is this. As you received Christ Jesus by faith, so you must live. How? By faith. Fill in those blanks. As you receive Christ Jesus by faith, then you are to live the Christian life by faith. Not by sight, not by feelings, by faith. Now, I'm going to give you, you don't have to turn to the next page. I, I, want, I want to share a little skit with you, a little monologue situation or story. I want to tell you about that carries us to the next page in a little practical illustration. Jim and Bob are friends and they're eating lunch together at work. When Bob says, Jim, why don't you and your wife Sue come over to our house? We've been blessed with a beautiful house, and Mary and I would love to have you over. Jim says, that sounds great. I'd really like to see your house. Where is it located? Bob says, it's on Maple Street, which is in the new subdivision on the east side of town. Jim said, wow, those are some nice homes. It must be wonderful to have arrived. Maybe I'll be able to afford a home like yours when I grow up, and they laugh together. Bob said, What about Saturday? Jim says, That sounds great around 2 p.m. Bob said, Sure, that that time's fine. And Jim said, We will be there. Well, the next scene is, is Jim and Sue driving in their car to Bob's house. And Jim said, I told you, Sue, this is a nice neighborhood. What was that address again? Sue said, 321 Maple. Jim said, okay, it should be right up here on the right, 317, 319. Here we are, 321. Goodness, what a house. Sue says, they must either have a lot of money or they are very good managers. I can't wait to see what it looks like inside. Jim said, come on, we don't want to keep them waiting. So they walk up. To the house. And they knock on the door. When they knock on the door, they are surprised. Because the first thing they see is this large foyer. It's this large foyer. But everything in the house is in the foyer. I mean, that's where the recliners are. There's a bed in there. There's the stove in there. There's a microwave. And all the family is in the foyer. Now, they could see doors off of the foyer that were going to go somewhere else, but it was pretty obvious to them that the family lived in the foyer of that beautiful home. Well, they come up the door, they knock on the door, and Bob says, Hey, Jim and Sue, come in, come right on in. Jim and Sue walk in. You can tell they're uncomfortable because there's not very much space for them to stay in. (laughs) Jim says, It is beautiful, and your house is one of the finest ones on the street, pauses. But what's going on, Bob? Are y'all having some work done on the rest of the house? Why is everything in the foyer, and why are all of you living here in the foyer? Bob says, oh, no, no. We're not having work done. This is where we live. It's the strangest thing about this house. Every one of these doors to the rest of the house are locked. And we don't have the key. So we just live here and make the best of it. We thought about building on to this foyer because we could use a little more room, but we just don't have the money. We also thought about selling it, but no one wants to live in a house where the only place you get to live is in the foyer. So we just decided to make the best of it and live in the foyer. Would you all like to sit down and visit? We can plug the coffee pot up since the kids are finished microwaving their lunches. Jim says, no, we just wanted to stop by. We can't stay. We have some other errands to run. And Bob said, well, come again when you have longer to stay. Next scene, Jim and Sue back in the car. Jim says, am I the only one who thinks that Bob and Mary's living situation is horrible? And why did they not open up the rest of the the doors and... The rest of that beautiful house. Sue said, I must say this is one of the most peculiar things I've ever seen. What can we do to help them? Jim said, I'm so troubled that I'm going to go back tomorrow to talk with Bob and to see if I can help him open up the rest of the house. Sue said, I will pray for you that you can help them. They do not realize what they are missing. Well, next scene. Jim has returned to Bob's house and knocked on the door. Bob opens up the door and is surprised to see Jim. Bob says, well, hey, Jim, I wasn't expecting you. Jim says, no, I was just in the neighborhood and wanted to stop by and talk with you. Where are Mary and the kids? Bob says, well, it gets a little, kind of crowded and stuffy, so Mary took the kids to the park for some space and fresh air. Jim said, "'Good, because I wanted to have a heart-to-heart talk with you.'" Bob said, "'What about?' Jim said, "'Well, to be totally honest, Sue and I are troubled and concerned that you and your family are only living in the foyer of this marvelous house. I wanted to see if I might be able to help you open up some of the doors.'" Bob said, "'Thanks, Jim, but I told you yesterday that they are locked and we do not have a key.'" Jim said, "'You mean to tell me that when you bought this house, they didn't give you the keys?' Have you any keys that we might try? Bob says, oh, yes, I have keys. I believe I've tried almost every one of them. He pulls out a large ring of keys. He said, I've tried all of these. Here's an old Honda key. Here's a Ford key. Here's the key to our first house. Here's the key to my locker at the YMCA. But I'm telling you, Jim, none of them work. Jim said, well, what about the key that you said that they gave you to get in the house into the foyer to begin with? Do you still have it? Bob said, yes, I have it. It's in a safe place right over there in the drawer. So he goes to the end table, pulls out the key. Do not not want to lose this key. This key is how we get into the foyer. Jim says, "Well, well, Bob, is there anything written on the key? Any numbers, any words? Bob said, yes, it has written across the top of the key, master. Jim said, well, Bob, do you know what that means? It means that this is the master key to the house. Bob said, so? Jim says, it means that this key opens up all the other doors off of the foyer into the house. This key opens every door to the house. Let me show you. So he walks over the living room door, puts the key in the door and turns it. And the door comes open and there is a vast living room for them to see. Bob said, Wow. Is Mary and the kid, are they not going to be surprised when they get home? Jim said, I am so glad that we discovered together that the key that gets you in also opens up every door. It is the master key. Bob said, thank you, Jim. My life and my family's lives will never be the same. And what in the world has that got to do with anything? It's got to do with everything. Flip to that next page. That's an illustration of, of Bob and Jim, right? <laughs> I mean, what, what, did, what did they do? Jim and Mary had bought this house and they lived in the foyer. How many of you would buy a house only to live in the foyer? Do I see any hands? Yeah. I mean, how many went and said, man, this is a great foyer. We're going we're to camp out right here. We're going to spend our whole life here. Nobody buys a house to get into the foyer. No matter how big it is or how beautiful it is, nobody bought the house to live in the foyer. You bought the house to live everywhere, right? But in this particular story, Jim and Mary bought a house and they spent all of their time in the foyer. They never got the dining room. They never went to the bathroom. They had, I guess, a potty outside. They they never went to the kitchen. They never went to the living room. They never went anywhere. All they did was live in the foyer. And it seemed as though in their life they were satisfied to live in the foyer rather than living in the whole house. And what was the problem? Because they didn't understand that the key that gets them into the house opens up the rest of the house. They were trying to find another key that would open up the rest of the house. When they finally came to understand that the master key opens up the rest of the house, they opened up all the doors and they began to enjoy the rest of the house and their lives would never be the same. All right? Now, flip to the, to the next page. I want to talk to you about another house. Most of you have sense enough that you know good and well, I would not live in the foyer of, my, of just the foyer of my house, and that's true. But how many of us spiritually have spent our lives in the foyer of the house that grace built? What's that called? It's called the house of salvation. Salvation is not just getting you into heaven. Salvation is the salvation of your soul. It's the introduction to you to abundant life. It's all the things that God has in store and treasuries that He opens up to you. But too many believers live in the foyer of their house. They've just taken up residence in the foyer and they never go anywhere else. They stay right there. Right there it says there's another house, the house of salvation, the house that grace built or the house that love built. That's the house of salvation. And what is the grace-faith principle? You need to know this. The grace-faith principle is this. Grace is God providing it. Faith is man receiving it. That's why that principle has got to work. There is never a shortage of the grace of God. The grace of God is all sufficient. He told that to Paul. My grace is sufficient. Whatever you need, it's going to be sufficient. God always provides. And what He provides is ample and sufficient and usually abundant. Amen? So He provides. But what is it that you have to have? What is it that you have to exercise? What is it that you need whereby you receive that which God provides? It's called faith. And the grace-faith principle works in salvation. We are not saved by works. We're saved by the grace-faith faith principle. But that same grace-faith principle works in relationship to the Christian life because what did it say? In the same way you receive Christ Jesus, how? Grace-faith principle, that you also live your life. You walk in Him. How? The grace-faith principle. So what do you do? Well, here's that spiritual house. You notice the four-year of the spiritual house is salvation. That's how you got saved. That's whenever you were six 16, 65, 95, however old you were when you got saved. You got saved and you asked Jesus in your heart and you wrote your name in the land's book of life and you got heaven as your home and all those things are true. And that's a wonderful experience. But that's not all there is to the Christian life. That's not all there is to the house of salvation. That's not all there is that God wants you to experience. He has a whole house for you to have. And, and how do you have that? How do you do that? What are some of those things that he says you can have? Look around that room. Do you see any of those things? What about holy living? What about answered prayer? Any of you need any answered prayers? What about financial blessings? What about healing? What about reconciliation? What about victory over sinful habits? What about a boldness to be a witness? All, All those things and many, many more that are a part of the Christian experience, things we're supposed to have, things that we're supposed to enjoy. But too many of us have said, no, I'm just not that kind of believer. I've just got to stay here in the foyer. i got to stay here in the foyer. All those doors seem to be locked. All those doors and rooms seem to be closed off to me. Not one of those rooms is closed off to you. Not one of those rooms is not available to you. But what you have to learn is this, that the way you entered into the house is the way you opened up the other doors. The what the key that gets you into the house? How was that? Faith. How does that help you into the other? the same key that got you in gets you into every one of those other doors. You don't have to. now. A lot of us are trying to find that key that opens up the door. You see right down here it says too many of us live in the foyer. The Christian life can be boring if you do all your living in the foyer. I could not imagine living in the foyer house. And the Christian life's pretty boring if all you do is live in the foyer of the spiritual house. You understand that? But a ring of spiritual keys. What do you find on your spiritual ring of keys? You remember Bob was sitting there, Our Jim was sitting there, and he said, man, I got all of these keys and I've tried all of them don't work. You know, we do the same thing. We'll, we'll do that. People say, well, I'm going to be more faithful in attendance and whenever that happens, I, I'm got, the, the house will be opened up to me and all those things will be of that. No. No, not being faithful to attendance. Right now, what yours are? I mean, do you know what? I tithe. Well, whenever you tithe, all these things are open. No, no, doesn't open up everything to you about that. I, I, I'm going to pray more. Praying, as awesome as praying is, as wonderful as praying is, it's not praying more. It's not, that's not how you got saved. That's not how you got in. How you got in was by faith. By faith. So whatever that, those rings are, or the keys on that ring, Bible study, worship, witnessing, tithing, whatever it might be, I'm here to tell you, none of those work. There is a master key, the same key that got you in, to the foyer, get you into the rest of the house. And what is that master key? It's the key of faith. At the very bottom it says, it is the master key. The master key unlocks that house. And what is that? That is the key of faith. Now, I want to give you a couple of things I want you to ponder and think about, and we'll be finished with this tonight. Look on, on the next page you you realize this that there are two times in the New Testament it says that Jesus marveled did y'all know that two times that, that Jesus marveled you know when they were it says that he marveled at the centurion's great faith yeah, that centurion remember whenever he, he said I'll, he asked him to come and heal somebody he says i'll come he said no you don't you don't need to go he said hey, he said you don't need to come with me you I'm a man who's under authority and in authority, and I tell somebody to go here and go there, and he says, you have all authority. All you have to do is just speak it, and he'll be well. And it says, Jesus marveled at such great faith. But the other time it says he marveled was when he went to his hometown, Nazareth, and they had no faith. So here's the question I want to place before you. Would Jesus marvel over you? Would Jesus marvel over you? And if so, why? Would He marvel over your great faith? Or would He marvel over your lack of faith? Point to ponder. Here's some verses to ponder that help you to understand the importance of this aspect of faith. These are, I'll give these all throughout the study, just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of verses on faith and the importance of faith. Listen to this, verses John 6, 27-29. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God. They had asked Him, What is the work of God? This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. What's the work of God? How do you do the work of God? By believing, by exercising your faith, believing in Him whom He has sent. What will Jesus be looking for when He comes in the final day? You ever thought about that? What's He going to be looking for when He comes? It tells you right here. However, when the Son of Man comes, will He find, what's the word? Will He find faith on the earth? What's the Son of Man looking for when He comes again? He's looking for faith. What about this? God created you to be pleasing to God. That's the reason you were created. You were created for His glory, His honor, and to please Him. So, what does it say in Hebrews eleven six? 6? And without faith, it is impossible to what? To please Him. The very purpose that you were created to please Him, it's impossible to do it without faith. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, that He's the rewarder of those who seek Him. Listen to Romans 1, 17, Habakkuk 2, 4, and Galatians three eleven. This has to do with how is a person made righteous... And how they continuously become more righteous? Listen to what he says. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. What does that mean? Well, how, how do you become more righteous? How do you become more like Jesus? How are you conformed in the image of God? How? From faith to what? To faith. From faith to faith. To faith, to believe him more, and to have more faith, and to grow and exercise of my faith, from faith to faith. And then he, he says this, As it is written, but the righteous man shall live by what? By faith. By faith. Do you understand over and over again why it's teaching, why it's talking, why it helps us understand that faith is so valuable. What about in 2 Corinthians 5, 7? Paul wrote these words, and we walk by faith, not by sight. Now take that with you and think about that this week. Think about that this week. Do you walk more by faith or by sight? What affects you in your, more, in your life? What, what sets your tone of your life? What, what is it in your that dictates your spirit? What you see with your physical eyes or what you see with the eyes of faith? What makes the difference in you? Paul said the reason he was different, he didn't walk by sight, he walked by faith. And, and this whole journey that we're going on is to... Teach us and help us to learn, how do you walk by faith? How do you walk by faith? Just a brief introduction to next week. Very few terms in the Bible did God define. He may describe them, but there are very few terms in the Bible that He defines. Would you think that if He defined a word for you, that it must be pretty important? Would you think that? Well, one of the few words that he defines is faith. We'll talk about that definition of faith next week. All right? God bless you. Have a good rest of the week.